Hello and welcome to episode number one of the Outdoor Minds podcast. I am your host, Callan Pilmanis, and today my guest is Kate Williams, CEO of 1% for the Planet. 1% is a tremendously influential organization in terms of environmental philanthropy. She has been with the organization since 2015. It was started several years ago by Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia, and it's been doing fantastic work helping companies funnel money to environmental causes. I reached out to Kate because I wanted to do an episode or two on conservation and the funding that comes from the outdoor industry. Our conversation reached well beyond that in talking about uh, their organization and how it gets business done. Kate was extremely generous with her time. This being episode number one, there was nothing out there on the internet to tell her that I was a competent interviewer and she went along for the ride and for that I am extremely grateful. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I hope you do too. And with that, here is Kate Williams. What I felt as a, as, a, as a professional in the space was that there's a lot of topics that affect every segment within the outdoor industry and conservation is one of them. And I know that 1% for the planet um, supports uh, environmental or, or public lands converse, conservation, excuse me, as one part of everything it does but I could not think of a better guest to have on the show than you. Um, and so I'm thrilled to have you here to talk about it and also just talk about a little bit of your professional history. I think I, as, as someone who, who loves the outdoors and loves the outdoor industry, I'm always curious as I look over the fence at other people and wonder, you know, how did they, how did they end up in the position where they are? So, uh, now that I've sucked all of the air out of the room, um, <laughs> if, you give me, if you could give me uh, and, and the audience a background of what your own history is, both, you know, just living in and, and loving the outdoors and, and maybe what you grew up doing and maybe what you like to do nowadays, as well as, as your professional history. Yeah, sure. Um, so thanks for that great intro. And I really appreciate just framing how like you know, the outdoor industry is, you know, is more diverse, even as it's unified around some really common goals, which, you know, we sometimes can forget. Mm -hmm. um, but I was fortunate to grow up in a family that, you know, did spend a lot of time outside. So I have, you know, great memories of, um, you know, camping out in our old canvas tent. We didn't do like, you know, big, you know, high mountain ventures as a family, but we, you know, went backpacking or went, uh, you know, car camping in Maine. And um, I have a really one particular memory of this night when we went camping and it was like pouring rain. And, um, you know, we, we huddled on our little islands in the canvas tent and ate cold sandwiches. But even that was like fun um, as a family. Um, and, you know, and just again, was like fortunate to have parents who like sent us out into the backyard to play and you know mm -hmm. things like that so I did have a you know comfort level in the outdoors and a, you know was fortunate to have access and then in my right after high school I had my first experience in big mountains I spent a month in the um, mountains in Wyoming with the National Outdoor Leadership School Knowles mm -hmm. and yeah. that was a really life-changing kind of pivotal experience for me because I love love loved it the place um, but also just the experience of like 
being out there with that group and having some leadership opportunities. And it was definitely challenging. We had some um, ad adventures and misadventures on that course. And, and I really um, just loved all of it and loved who I got to be out there and, you know, in that place and with those like challenges and opportunities. So, you know, for me, that was really pivotal because from that point on, I was like, all right, in some way, shape or form, this is what I need to do. And I didn't really know exactly what this meant, but I knew I wanted to, you know, work on behalf of the planet. Um, and that ha is what I have spent my career doing. For the first part of my career, I was an outdoor educator. So kind of connecting people to those experiences in the belief that like, if more people have the opportunity to fall in love with the outdoors, they'll fight for it, they'll connect with it, they'll, you know, be there for the planet. And then I shifted into, um, you know, working more on the advocacy side and environmental nonprofits. Um, and, you know, throughout all of that was fortunate to get to continue to have more like personal adventures, um, backpacking, paddling. Um, I now do a lot of like trail running and stuff like that. So I'm fortunate to still be able to get outside a lot. Nice, nice. So if I saw it correctly, you live in the, the Burlington, Vermont area. Yeah, I live about an hour outside of Burlington. So I live in a little ski valley right in the mountains, which is nice. We, you know, I can go out my back door and be in the woods, which I really appreciate. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I can appreciate that too. Um, you know, Knowles is, is a, a great organization. I, I've, only, I've only been able to take their, their wilderness first aid classes, but mm -hmm. I strongly, anybody that I know that does any type of backpacking or, or hunting, you know, where they're, they're miles away from their car or civilization, um, it wasn't until I took, I took uh, a Knowles first aid, a wilderness first aid class that I even understood how to use even half of this stuff that was in, you know, the standard first aid kit that I'd been packing out for so many years. And uh, it's sobering to take the class uh, and realize that, oh yeah, I could turn my ankle mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I have no idea how to tape it up. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, that's a really, a very cool, very cool organization. Um, so you'd been at, in advocacy, advocacy for a while, excuse me. Um, so 1% for the planet, uh, if you could help uh, the audience understand uh, the organization and, and, and its history and how you got involved with it. Sure, yeah, so I've been CEO for five years now and I came from a, a another nonprofit where I was the executive director for 10 years. And so, you know, really increasingly for me had been, um, you know, just really interested in the, you know, leadership and sort of how to like build or and grow organizations. And, and that was really what brought me to 1%. And I came into 1% about when it was just about 15 years old. So it was founded in 2002. Um, and it was founded by Yvonne Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia and his friend, Craig Matthews, who owned a company called Blue Ribbon Flies in West Yellowstone. And, um, you know, they essentially had like a riverbank realization in uh, Montana when they were fishing that their businesses depended on a healthy planet where people could do things like go fishing. Um, and they are, you know, smart people. And so they also were able to extrapolate out that like, while their businesses directly depend on, 
you know, being able to go fishing, all businesses depend on a planet that's healthy enough to sustain an economy. So they created 1% as a way to build this movement of companies who, you know, give back to support the planet and to make the planet healthier for future generations. And so the organization, you know, was then, you know, spun out as its own nonprofit and has been working since that time. We're now 18 years old. Um, we're actually coming up on 20 soon. Um, where with the with the focus of like building a network globally of companies, and we actually added individuals a few years ago who are making this commitment to give back. Um, and we now have 3,300 businesses globally. Um, about half and half us international Mm. in you know multiple industries you know people often because of how we were founded assume that we're kind of all outdoor industry but it's actually um, a small segment of our total industry representation so we have you know we're in food and beverage um, apparel Mm. which is great it's really you know fun to you know cut across a lot of different industries including the outdoor industry yeah, definitely, definitely. I um, I, I actually have a, a f- what what I think is a funny Yvonne Yvonne Chouinard, uh, story. So uh, when I was going to grad school, um, I was I was working full time for uh, an outdoor brand in Southern California, and and going to grad school, and I had I I, I had been working in the outdoor industry for a few years completely fallen in love with it and through grad school I had the opportunity to go uh, see uh, Yvonne speak at a distinguished speakers um, series thing it was right when uh, let my people surfing his his book came Mm -hmm. out yeah and so here I am you know going to grad school and 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 bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and looking forward to, to working in the outdoor industry for as long as they'll have me and I get get to see Yvonne Chouinard speak and uh, so it was at the, um, the old uh, downtown library in, in Los Angeles, beautiful building and uh, fantastic interview. And, and the Q&A session uh, starts uh, towards the end. And someone, someone asked him a question about team building and, and, uh, and he made the comment. He says, yeah, I don't hire MBAs. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just remember, I just remember sitting there just feeling so so crestfallen. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But uh, but I, I've since learned that um, just scanning uh, LinkedIn that there are a few MBAs working at. Yeah, at that. yeah, I think that that may have changed. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. So out of curiosity, I, I mean that 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 was the only time I've ever been in in the room with with Yvonne and as a as as a founder to to the organization. I'm sure his his, um, you know, thumbprint is, it remains there. Um, Mm -hmm. How would you describe working um, for, for an organization that that was started by such a, such a strong personality? Yeah, I have to say he's like the best of founders for us. He's, um, you know, he is, so like strong in his like philosophical support for what we're doing, um, you know, and really believes in the model. And so, you know, leans in, in terms of articulating that, but he's not at all, um, you know, in the mix on the day-to-day, um, Mm -hmm. operations. So, you know, we, we, 
benefit from the like strength of his convictions and his continued engagement as an activist himself um, without what I know can sometimes, you know, be the challenge of navigating sort of operational sure. decision making with the with the founder. So um, so I've you know really appreciated his um, trust in me and in our organization and his like support without um, you know, again, like getting in the weeds, he has a lot of other weeds that, you know, he needs to um, tend to um, because, you know, he he's involved in a lot of things and, you know, it's been great to, you know, have his like encouragement and often like push. And a lot of times we'll kind of have a like, you know, what would Yvonne do moment, um, right. but, you know, really feel also the freedom to like, you know, keep pushing the, the model forward. That's great. That's great. Um, so as I spent a lot of time researching your organization and, and trying to get an understanding um, just from, from website and, and other articles online, um, I would almost describe it, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I would almost describe it as, as kind of a matchmaking service for organizations, companies, and now individuals who want to commit uh, 1% or more of their, of their income to environmental causes. Um, and, and I was really uh, impressed with what I, what I guess I would describe as a wide swath of organizations that 1% directs people and organizations to. Um, so, so uh, for the audience, um, can, can you describe of how the organization works? Yeah, and I think I love that question because I think the model is simple at one level. I mean, people hear our name and they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, I get it. But then there's also, you know, you know, lots of complexity behind the scenes in terms of how that works. And I think matchmaker is a term that others have used and it's mostly right. I would say... Um, you know, we would probably amend that to be more like relationship builder. And the okay. distinction I make is that for us, like the, the way the money flows is that we don't operate as a foundation. So the, when a member joins, they're not giving us their 1% that we then distribute to nonprofits. They are making the commitment and then we support them as, you know, essentially philanthropic advisors or consultants, mm -hmm. whatever term you want to use to really help each member figure out their business uh, giving strategy. Um, and we, um, the reason that moves it from like matchmaker to um, relationship builder is that, you know, a match, you know, most companies could sort of figure out like, I'm interested in this. So like, you know, give me a match or like I can match with that relationship is like a little deeper because we're really looking at like, what's the brand story that you want to tell? How engaged do you, want your employees to be, you know, does it, you know, do you want your giving to sort of map to where your uh, company has a footprint? You know, those are all questions that there's no right answer to them, but each company gets to kind of create that. And then we introduce them to the nonprofits that they, you know, that would kind of be a good fit for them strategically. And they're then able to, you know, through their giving, direct giving build a relationship with those um, nonprofits that can then become so much more than just the check, you know, so it can involve that volunteer uh, level, it can involve the storytelling, 
um, things like that. And, you know, some companies come in with a pretty good idea of what they want to do. You know, some of our smaller companies are, you know, everyone pays a small dues fee um, mm -hmm. as part of their 1%. And for some of our smallest companies, like that's their 1%. And so they're like part of the network. And then they're, you know, they start their giving as they grow. They're giving to other nonprofits. So, you know, it varies from company to company. But, you know, overall, across the totality of our membership, that relationship building is, um, and, and like building these lasting partnerships is a pretty core value that our team offers to our members. That's fantastic. And to those nonprofits as well. Yeah, that's a, I appreciate the explanation. Um, you know, as, as I was referring to earlier, we talk about kind of cultural barriers, um, certainly within the outdoor industry and, and, and again, 1% for the planet's reach, uh, by the grace of God goes, goes far beyond that. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating and sad at times to recognize how polarized the, the world um, has become in which we live. And uh, it seems that uh, constantly and, and probably amplified by social media, people feel um, uh, uh, some type of, of duty to put different people into different camps and different teams and um, certainly within the world of environmental causes, um, we, I feel like I've seen um, uh, and, and maybe because of the brands I've been involved with, um, we've seen uh, uh, people try to classify folks as, as pro hunting versus anti hunting and you know, I'm a Southern California native. I'm, I, I grew up with, with skateboards and punk rock, and I didn't get involved in into the outdoors until I was in my 20s. You know, my dad, you, you describe your, your upbringing. My dad always said that his version of camping is a hotel room without cable, you know? <laughs> and uh, and so I got, you know, I got involved late. And, and as someone who got involved late, I had a lot of um, learning to do myself, um, including about, about hunting. And, and as I know you're, you're keenly, uh, aware of, uh, you know, the hunting side of, of, of the outdoor world has done great things for, for conservation. Um, and so as I was scanning, um, the, the 1% website and looking at different, um, organizations under the, the six different categories and, and we should get into that in, in yeah. a second. Um, I was really pleased to see that organizations like, like uh, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and I, I believe I saw Ducks Unlimited was included there. So by no means um, do, does at least it appear that that 1% is, is, you know, advocating for, for this camp, but not that camp. And I love the way that you described, um, you know, uh, diving into an organization's core and what they stand for and making sure that they are supporting and tied to um, other uh, causes that are, that are a good fit for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that question because that is really important to us. So, you know, the way we, we set up our nonprofits is we have six different uh, issue areas, we call them. So we have climate, 
food, which is like where sustainable ag and things like that would go. Mm-hmm. Water, both fresh and ocean. So that's a big category. Mm-hmm. Uh, land. So, you know, a whole you know, variety of sort of conservation and, you know, various efforts associated with land, wildlife and pollution. So those, you know, every nonprofit and many of them actually could fit in several, but every nonprofit ultimately lives in one category on our, um, you know, in the way we organize it. And that's just like helpful with a lot of nonprofits. It's a, you know, it's a way that we can sort of filter them and that someone can sort of then begin to drill down to, you know, who's the best fit. But you point out, you know, something important. There are a lot of other ways you can sort of slice it in terms of um, sort of how someone engages with the outdoors um and that's where it gets into like you know really working with each company you know to to understand what they're trying to accomplish so you know you brought up rocky mountain elk foundation um and there's some other ones too um and i'm blanking on the name right now but we had one member who um said, you know, I really want my giving to make a clear statement that the environment should not be a partisan issue. So I want to make sure that I give not just to what are seen as like traditional green organizations, but also to, you know, the more sort of hunting and fishing types of organizations, because I think those often speak to a different crowd. And I was like, you're brilliant, you know, thank you for like being so articulate about that. So that was one way that a company was using their giving strategy to not just support the environment, but to try and like make a clear statement about their belief that like the, we engage with the environment in a bunch of different ways and it's meaningful to us in a bunch of different ways and we need to support it in a bunch of different ways. So we, you know, we definitely, you know, feel that there's a place of a valuable place in the you know environmental community for those hunting and fishing organizations. We've gotten some pushback at times because there are people who don't share that belief. And I think the beauty of our model is like, that's fine. Like if that's not where you as a member want to allocate your giving, you don't have to. We're not telling you that that's what you need to do. Right. We are, you know, not going to sort of shy away from having a point of view that that those nonprofits, you know, play a valuable role in terms of, you know, protecting land in some cases, advocating in other cases, like doing the work to, you know, protect both places and ways to experience place and to connect to place that are really important. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so I saw, um, or you mentioned earlier, uh, the, the six different, uh, I think, I think you call them, uh, issues yeah Yeah. that um one percent uh how one percent classifies and and directs directs people to um but you also mentioned uh as you and i were exchanging emails that there's especially in the current climate um with with uh um, the protests are going on in our country currently about about justice and, and, and equality of justice um, in, in our, our society, both both globally and certainly with, within the United States, um, that there is an additional um, aspect to uh, a 1% charitable um, support that, that you're taking on. Do you want to you talk about that as well? Yeah, sure. And I, I also really appreciate that question. So you know, again, in the same way that those six categories are like one way to like organize information. And there are other like 
cross cuts, you know, and, and one of those is environmental justice. So there can be, you know, organizations in any one of those areas that are addressing climate with an eye to its impacts on the most vulnerable communities, many of which are black, many of which, you know, have been systematically um, made to be vulnerable. Um, and so, you know, we have had and, you know, have made sure to include environmental justice focused nonprofits for a while, but, you know, in the, um, you know, recent eruption of, you know, a higher level of attention in the wake of the George Floyd um, murder, you know, we felt that we were called on to accelerate that work and to get much stronger in that area. So actually today, as we're recording this is Juneteenth. And as part of that, we are releasing a, a blog post with a expanded list of those nonprofits that kind of sit in that intersection of environment and justice. Um, and it's been, you know, it's felt really right and you know, just important to our staff to do this. Like we, you know, we are, we come from the, you know, pretty uh, white history of environmentalism, you know, we're aware of that. And, um, and so, you know, we have, this has been a moment to really accelerate work that we've wanted to, to move into in order to deliver our mission. Our mission is to, um, you know, engage people to create a future that um, is healthy for both planet and people. And you can't have, you know, if there's injustice and violence in the streets, that doesn't, you, you can't have both, um, if that makes sense. So, um, so all to say, like, you know, for us, this is like, feels totally aligned with our mission. And we've felt sort of called on in these, you know, recent weeks to really accelerate and, you know, move this work forward you know, to bring in those nonprofits that are working in that intersectional space. And, I, and as we look ahead, we're going to be, you know, really uh, digging into like, how do we define that space? And like, how do we, you know, make sure that our, you know, the way we're engaging with companies to develop their strategies includes, you know, an articulation of that as a, an important facet of giving you know, again, just because a just planet and a healthy planet have to go together or you can't have either. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's some of the work that we're doing um, right now. And it's, and there's lots for us to learn and lots of partners who I'm sure will, will, you know, be important in, you know, helping us to think better and more clear, clearly about this, but, but, you know, we're, we're taking some steps and, and listening and learning as much as we can. That's great. I appreciate, I appreciate that, that explanation. Um, so, so if, if we were just to go through, through the process or 1% process for, for organizations, um, companies, people who, who want to commit, you know, they say, you know, I've, we have, have, have done our soul searching. We recognize how critically important it is to uh, support um, the environment that, um, in case of the outdoor industry, that, that we depend on for our consumer base, um, for our brands, um, even outside of that, you know, you talked about, uh, about sustainable farming and, and you know, that's, that's a critical topic for everybody um, mm -hmm. who lives on this planet. So uh, an organization contacts you and says, look, this is something we wanna do, we wanna commit to this, but we don't even know how to get started. Yeah. So what yeah. does that process look like? 
Yep. We love that question because we love it when people call with that question. Cause like, that's, that's what we do. And we've, mm-hmm. we've really tried to create the process so that it's really easy to take that step. So our, our whole belief is like everyone has a 1% and you know, the, you know, addressing environmental issues can feel very overwhelming. So we don't want joining 1% for the planet to also feel overwhelming. We want it to be a way that you can take action and like sort of get on the path or like continue the journey that you've already begun. So basically if, you know, if you were to call with your company and say, Hey, I want to join, we'd arrange a call and like explain, make sure you understood the model. And then, you know, basically you sign up and pay your dues, which is, based on your budget size, that's a small part of your 1% or, you know, uh, kind of steps up as you, as you get bigger, but it, you know, continues to be part of your 1%. Um, And then as soon as you've done that, you have access to using the logo to like fully engaging in the network. And there's, there's a lot to engage in. We, you know, in a, in a year that's not this year, we have a lot of events. Um, We have an, we have global summits. Um, we had to cancel our summit in LA um, this spring, um, but we've rescheduled it for next year. We have European summits. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of ways that we, you know, create opportunities for members to engage with other members and with other nonprofits to just be part of the network. Cause that's a huge value of it too. So you, you do your giving and we certify that, but you also like get access to this amazing peer network. But then during that first year that you're a member, that's when our team says, all right, you know, what, how do you, how do you want to do your giving? Like, what's the brand story you want to tell? What's the, you know, where do you want to give all of those questions that I ran through earlier and more. And we really try and learn like, what's the, you know, what's the giving relationship that is, is going to, you know, be most powerful for you. And then during that first year, you, you figure out your giving and you do that giving. And at the end of your first year, and then at the end of every subsequent year of your membership, um, we would certify that giving. And so we have a certification process to just verify giving receipts against your total revenue. And that's a really powerful piece of the model because in this day and age with, with consumers more interested in companies and driving change and with their dollars, being part of driving that change, they are interested in brands that have a purpose, but they're also skeptical of brands that might say they have a purpose. And 1% for the planet is a third party verification that like, oh no, like this company is actually making a big commitment and we're certifying it every year. So it has meaning in the marketplace, which is a really important um, value of it. And, And you get access to that right away. And then, you know, then you get onto this annual cycle. Yeah, that, that's, I love what you're saying about, about substantiating um, these organizations' um, claims on, on their values, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's been really interesting uh, over the last few weeks in light of uh, the murder of George Floyd and, and so many uh, people and organizations standing up and making declarations that, that um, you know, they do, they do recognize that Black Lives Matter. Um, the, I've also seen, particularly in social media, a lot of, a lot of blowback in terms of, um, you know, consumers, you know, members of the public, calling out companies that that feel 
feel an urgency to make a public statement, um, but don't necessarily have a plan to, to back it up. And, and, you know, I, I'm one of the most cynical people that I know. And, and I, so I don't, you know, I don't want to uh, paint a negative light on, on these companies that, that at least they're, they're speaking up and saying something, but it does expose um, how vulnerable a, a company or brand can make themselves by declaring that they are an environmentalist organization, for example, but not being able to provide any uh, quantifiable evidence that they're putting their, their money and their actions where, where their mouth is. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing that up. And we hope that we can, as we ourselves grow and learn in this racial justice space, which we are, you know, we are underway doing that. You know, we hope that the 1% certification and giving can also be a way in which companies can you know, drive real change, like invest real dollars in mm. nonprofits that are working in that space. And the 1% for the planet logo can, you know, provide that certification that, Hey, it's not just words. There's actually, you know, substantial legitimate investment happening also. That's great. So in terms of the, the word certification, um, I want to make sure that I understand this correctly. You're obviously certifying um, the organizations, the giving organizations who have signed up and made that commitment. But my understanding, I'm just doing my own research. It sounds like you're also certifying the or organizations that are, are um, you know, on the receiving end of funds as well. Is, do I, is that correct? It's a, it's a good clarifying question and I like tweak the language. So we, the certification that we do is for our members and those are the businesses and individuals who are giving money to nonprofits and we certify that they have given their 1%. Okay. And so that's how we use the term certification. We do vet and approve any nonprofits who come into our network. Um, so we have a process um, that's information-based um, mm -hmm. to you know, make sure that their focus, their work, the way they're measure measuring impact, um, all of that you know, is you know, legitimately you know, falls into one of our um, categories. And so, you know, so then part of what we're also providing to those companies is not only are we gonna certify your giving, but we're also gonna help you as companies to feel confident that you're giving to you know legit credible nonprofits who are driving real change um and that's important too for a lot of our companies they're like well we don't know like we're and we don't want to give to a company that or a nonprofit that's um you know cooking the books or you know any of the things that you know there's also skepticism about nonprofits and you know most nonprofits are awesome and doing great work but it's a, it is important to like make sure um that that you, you know, you trust that they're, they're doing what they say they're going to do with your money. And, and we play the role of like doing that screening. That's great. Um, without, without naming names, um, when a, when a, an organization, a nonprofit um, doesn't make the screening, it doesn't, doesn't read the requirements. Typically, what are the types of things that, that keep you from giving that type of stamp of approval? Yeah, the way our process works is that for nonprofits to even be considered, they have to be recommended by a staff member or a member. Okay. Um, and 
you know, so a lot of the screening happens at that level because they, they like they usually don't make it up the chain unless, you know, unless, you know, we're reasonably confident that that they, you know, at a fundamental level are, are worth our consideration. Um, the ones that don't end up making it, it's usually not because they're bad nonprofits. Far from it. It's usually just because they they may not have that environmental focus. OK, um, so. So that's, you know, that would be the primary reason. And those are typically more of the member recommendation ones, just like for them to say, hey, would this fit or not? Um, and, you know, and then we're able to just make that assessment. Great. I appreciate that. So, um, you know, it's, th there are still a lot of, of, of companies, particularly in the outdoor industry, who, um, let's just say are not contributing uh, to environmental causes at the level that, that they could be. Mm -hmm. If you were to, to give um, a plea, a message to, to, to these organizations, what, what would you want them to think about? I would say, you know, a couple of things. One is increasingly we're seeing it's great for business. Um, and so, you know, that's been one really interesting thing. You know, you, you described the company like approaching us, you know, they've, they've, you know, done the soul searching and, and that's great. And we do get a lot of that, but we actually really love it when a company comes to us and just says like, I think this would be a great business move. It's like, that's when we're going to start driving change. So consumers like this, you know, they, mm -hmm. they, you know, they are increasingly attracted to brands that are making a social difference and their social or environmental difference. There's a lot of evidence to support that. So 1% for the planet represents a really clear way that a company can sort of step into that business opportunity. So that's one thing that I would say. Um, the other is, um, you know, if a company is trying to figure out like, what's the best place to put my money? Like I, I do want to do something, but like, why should I give to nonprofits? We would say, you know, there are a lot of different things that you can do. And most of our companies are giving their 1% and doing X, Y, and Z also. Like there's, there's a whole lot of things, but we would say the nonprofit sector plays a really important role. You know, companies also should be looking at their supply chain. If they have any investments, those should be impact investments. Like we need it all, but don't think that there's not a really critical role for the nonprofit sector. So businesses increasingly can do a lot and that's great. And many of them are stepping into that. Many aren't, but you know, businesses can play a role through how they operate, how they, you know, function, you know, what they invest in all of that government can play a role and, and does more or less sort of depending on what policies get put in place. But, you know, government uh, policy can be the, like one of the biggest drivers of, you know, change at scale. So that plays a really important role, but there's always a gap. There's always a space between what business can do and what government can do and nonprofits live in that space and we need to support them. So what nonprofits do in that space is they're able to, you know, go in and address issues where there may not be a market now, or there may never be a market. And so it's not a business opportunity and government policy hasn't yet gotten in there and may never. So nonprofits can say, boom, we're going to address that. Nonprofits can, you know, advocate between business and government for changes that, you know, people would want. So like 
carbon pricing or things like that. Whatever people think of that, like that's an example of what a nonprofit can advocate for, can pull together, you know, businesses and individuals to be part of that advocacy too. So they can, you know, build constituencies around certain issues. So that's like a short list, but there are a lot of things that nonprofits do in that space. Um, and so for businesses, the opportunity is to play in a bigger total space. So then you have your business to work with and you have your giving to the nonprofit sector. So suddenly you have a much bigger reach in terms of how your business can be driving positive change. So it's kind of like, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you seek to do that? Because consumers want that and the world needs it and a sustainable planet needs it. And, you know, and, and also your giving can be just such a, like a big part of your story too. Um, it, you know, it really creates a like powerful opportunity to, you know, distinguish, distinguish your brand and just add that depth to it. Yeah, that's great. You know, I was, I was thinking about how, how transparent the world has become thanks to the internet. And, and I think there's a lot of people, um, in the world who subconsciously maybe have a, a certain level of anxiety about how are they spending their money and, and the companies that they're buying goods and services from, you know, are they going to find out in, in a few months time that, you know, they're, they're, you know, labor practices are, are bad or, or they're a greater polluter than anyone could, could have ever imagined. And, um, you know, it, I think about, I keep on going back to, to Yvonne Chouinard and Patagonia, you know, I think not only um, does Patagonia make incredible products and I've got a, a, a black hole bag that I've dragged literally across the globe with me and the thing is indestructible but there there's a there's a level of satisfaction that i know th th knowing that 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 bag is made out of recycled materials you know and even listening to yvonne speak about um and this was this was years ago when i was heard him speak uh, in person talk about um the, the company's quest at the time to develop um organic cotton sources that were so Yep. difficult to, to come by, um, you know, a decade or, or more ago. And um, yeah, so I, I think it, it rests well on the conscience of consumers knowing that they're, they're purchasing products from companies that do support the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it is very resonant with consumers. And what we have found too, and I think this is important also just for, you know, companies, your question of like, if a company's not yet a member and like, why would I become a member? Like our goal is not like, we're not looking for perfect companies to join because um, there aren't any perfect companies. We're looking to like create change for the world in a good way. That's good for business, good for the planet, good for people. And what we have seen time and again through our network is company joins they make this commitment, they start giving, they start taking advantage of the opportunities to connect within the network. And they learn so much that they go from running their business and giving to giving and deciding that they need to run their business with zero plastic 
figuring out how to do that, changing their product line as a result. And I'm like, this is a real company that has done this and like kind of transforming, transforming themselves. And they're giving, continue, you know, we continue to just certify their 1% giving, but their experience of being in the network creates a space and an opportunity for learning that enables them to do so much more. And they're like example after example of that. And so, you know, we see 1% for the planet as like this great, you know, sort of engine of change where the giving is kind of like how you get into it, how the engine gets going. But then so much more happens um, just by the power of like smart, passionate people getting together. Very good. Beautiful. I appreciate it. Well, I know uh, today being Juneteenth, you have very important things uh, to get onto. So uh, I, I wish you all the success in the world. And I do so thank you for your time. Um, so please check out uh, 1% for the Planet and their website. I'll put up uh, links um, on, on uh, the, the YouTube link and on the uh, podcast website so people can learn more. Um, thanks so much and uh, let's keep in touch. Sounds great. Thanks, Karen. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. That was Kate Williams, CEO of 1% for the Planet. To learn more about their organization, check out their website at 1%fortheplanet.org. That's all letters, no numbers, as well as their presence on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Our theme music for the show is 500 Miles, composed by Barry Manning and performed by The Capacitors. Check out their website at thecapacitors.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. You can also learn more about me, our guests, and our content by visiting the website outdoormindspodcast.com. God bless. See you next time.